Welcome to TurfNet Renovation Report. This is your host, Brad Klein. And we are here courtesy of our sponsors, Golf Preservations, The Andersons, and Capillary Bunkers. Our guest this week is uh, Josh Lewis, who is a uh, longtime superintendent and now consultant with the uh, firm of, uh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, so you'll correct me, uh, Gradaville Hertzing Management Group. That close Nailed enough? it. Nailed oh, it. Oh. Josh, welcome to the show. Uh, we met, what was it, seven years ago at Chambers Bay when you had your hands full with a little member guest for four days. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, if, we it did. if it hadn't been for Dustin Johnson, it would have been a five-day member guest. <laughs> We're grateful for four days. Yeah. Um You've moved on to a superintendent in California, superintendency in California, now a consulting role. So you've seen mm -hmm. a lot over the last uh, seven, eight years. And California has been kind of the focal point for uh, what I wanted to talk about, which are large scale renovations, some of them very costly, some of them involving uh, water treatment facilities. What's going on? You know, I mean, as busy as the industry is, um, there are a lot less half million dollar renovations and a lot more multi-million dollar projects going on. So what's your sense and what's your role in all of this? Well, my sense is, you know, between, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about this between myself and Robert and Pat, two other partners, principals of the firm. And, you know, I think there's a couple of major drivers. One, you know, the biggest elephant in the room out here is, is water, water use, water efficiency, um, sustainability, you know, frankly, access to the resource. Um, so we're seeing a lot of situations where clubs are trying to become as efficient as possible while at the same time, you know, secure the resource for the future. Uh, whether that's putting a facility on their property, you know, Sharon Heights did that while I was there, um, got that to the finish line. Uh, Pasa Tiempo is the most kind of publicized example of that in the last 10 years. Um, but the number of clubs that we talk to that that's like priority A for them is staggering. And anytime that you're looking at a, an infrastructural upgrade or infrastructural project of that size, you know, a lot of the time it comes with opportunities for things like state grants, um, low interest loans, things like that, you know, they're incentivized by the state of California, even some in the federal government. Um, but you're still talking about tens of millions of dollars potentially. And so those are, those are, that's if you can get it, uh, if you can get a contract signed, there's a lot of hoops to jump through and a lot of, a lot of hurdles to overcome. Um, so water is number one, but with that, clubs are also looking at things like irrigation systems, you know, utilizing technology, getting efficient, grassing uh, strategies on their golf course, you know, trying to, a lot of uh, Bermuda grass conversions happening out here between Northern California, Southern California, um, you know, Southern California has been on that kick for quite some time, but now you're seeing it in Las Vegas very heavily and Northern California is, is really getting crazy as it relates to people you know, considering Bermuda grass as an alternative to the cool season turf they've had. Um, so really it's about sustainability and access, you know, 
water's gotten so expensive too. You know, you're not just talking about environmental sustainability. You're talking about the physical yeah. survivability of your club or your course for the future too. And so the, there is an ROI there. Definitely. It's a, it's a pretty easy one to calculate when you start talking about saving, you know, 40 to 60% in water. Um, the other thing we're seeing is just deferred maintenance, deferred, deferred investment. I mean, you and I both know the golf boom, in the late nineties, early two thousands, there's a lot of golf courses built. Um, all of those irrigation systems are now 25 years old, which is about the expected, you know, right. lifespan, especially in our situation out here where we're, we could be irrigating for 12 months. So those foundational, you know, we like to call them non-sexy golf components have to be replaced on a schedule. They start to fail. They start to cost you a lot of money over time. And we've talked to a lot of people out here that have systems anywhere from 25 to 40 years old. And when you're in a, a state like ours with the water situation, the way it is, you can't afford to be inefficient with your irrigation system, how you apply water. So a lot of guys going away from two and three and four heads on a station to obviously getting single head control, you know, going away from PVC to HTTP pipe, sure. um, two, two wire systems so that we can add heads and take heads away, you know, as we, as we see fit, as we see water restrictions and drought contingency plans in place. So that's, that's the majority of what we're seeing driving. So, I mean, it's a combination of things. It's infrastructure that's aging, uh, which is across the country. Um, it's uh, availability of fresh water, which is a major issue out in California, uh, but also throughout the Southwest, too. Uh, and yeah. um, so, um, you know, you're asking clubs now. I mean, I assume one of these water treatment facilities, basically and the function of them is to take effluent and to clean it up and be able to use it on on golf turf. Is that right? Yeah, it all depends on what your raw water source availability is. So, you know, in the case of Pasatiempo, they were, it was already pre-treated to secondary water. Mm -hmm. They had to figure out a way to get it from secondary to tertiary to be able to put it on the golf course. Um, so they have a more of a scalping plant design, you know, and of course, Justin is the authority on this can go into depth on that, the superintendent there, but, um, you know, in the case of Sharon Heights, we were taking raw water on site all the way from, you know, primary raw all the way to secondary and then tertiary and then putting on the golf course. So um, there's various levels. You know, we didn't have access there to secondary treated water. We had to come up with a way or the club had to come up with a way to get it from raw water all the way to, to usable recycled. Now, are these so, clubs being forced by the municipalities or is it an economic issue that the or they're just facing the likely uh, reduction or turnoff of the key by the municipality. I mean, I, maybe it's a combination. Pasatiempo was uh, more or less forced. They were faced with, you know, again, I'm, this has been a while now, but I want to say 35% uh, reduction uh, mandatory. And it was to the point where they had to turn off a lot of turf. They were right. down to basically landing areas being green, T's and greens being green, everything else was dead one year. Um, that really fast tracked their process to get, you know, a, a reliable source. Other situations, you know, speaking to my experience at Sharon Heights, um, was very proactive and very thoughtful. It took them nine years to get there. They they put it as a goal, you know, nine nine and a half years before it actually came to fruition, that we are forecasting that this is going to be a real issue for us. We want to make sure that this foundational building block is in place for the future of the club. 
So we're seeing combinations of that. You know, some water districts are more severe than others. You know, Meadow Club had some some pretty rough restrictions uh, last year um, yeah. that that drove a lot of conversation. You know, so everybody out here is of the same opinion that it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when you get your water turned off, you know, your potable water turned off. So you need to have a plan, you know, some are reactive, some are proactive. It's still a big shock to clubs to have to face. I'm sorry. I'm going to guess 10 to $15 million for a plant that is uh, essentially how should I produce it? Uh, revenue neutral, or at least uh, looks like a difficult thing to argue for in terms of the membership. So, I mean, there's some interesting, yeah. uh, what's the word, political battles that have to take place over this. The other thing that's interesting, besides the specific regional focus on water availability, you, you've referenced irrigation. Uh, all of this is taking place in a time of rising costs uh, yeah. because of backlog, uh, supply chains, uh, threats of war, fuel, and so irrigation irrigation systems that in the past might have cost one and a half to two and a half million are now costing three, three and a half and four for 18 holes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's a really tough pill to swallow, too, because a lot of these clubs have they're not that far removed from, you know, in their eyes, you know, time is relative, I guess. But in their eyes, you know, we just did the irrigation system. You just did the irrigation system 25 years ago you know, and spent a million or a million five, and now it's four, you know, it is a major inflationary factor, but because everything is, you know, a lot of this revolves around things like labor and fossil fuels. I mean, plastic HDPE is, it's a fossil fuel based thing. And so these these, the main inflationary factors that we're dealing with in everyday life are really pushing the, the cost of construction up right now. You add to that a huge demand with everybody trying to do work, you know, deferred uh, investment at the same time, you have the classic supply and demand issue going on, which is making it even worse. So uh, what role do you play in terms of um, providing what management, construction, management, coordination, Mm -hmm. or assistance? uh, Because obviously, you know, the odd thing is I've, and I've confronted this as a consultant. Um, I, I've seen, I've been involved in maybe 125 renovation projects. Uh, and you, each time you're dealing with superintendent and a, not, I'm not faulting them. They're going through it once and, uh, and clubs are going through it for the first and probably only time. So the learning curve is the project. How are you as an outsider involved um, and offering uh, expertise in terms of what, maybe expediting the learning curve or walking them through the process or taking over day-to-day construction management. How does that work for you guys? Well, you know, I think it goes back to a brief origin story on the company and Robert and Pat, you know, originally got to thinking about this and saw a need in the industry and then contacted me about six months after they'd started the business and asked if I wanted to join. Um, the reality is there were a couple of major factors. One is, you know, the three of us had been through major construction, significant major construction. Pat was, you know, going all the way back to building golf courses in Korea with Perry Dye, you know, in the 90s. So we've got a, a very um, extensive background in construction, golf course construction, project management as a superintendent. But what we also saw through that was the stresses and the pressures that started to be put on the superintendent and the club 
you know, to take on a lot of personal liability in this. And, and, you know, through personal experience, having our face on projects that we were just trying to get completed for our membership, you know? And so our goal was to try to take the experience that we have, help clubs and superintendents navigate some complex situations, especially with, as you referenced, the extensive nature of some of these projects and the expense associated with and liability associated with. When you start talking about, you know, 15 plus million dollars, that's a big chunk of money. You want to make sure that it's like, you know, you're being as efficient as possible. You're not blowing through your contingency. You're hitting your timelines and your deadlines and that you've thought of everything in your planning. You know, that's where a lot of things come in is, whoops, we forgot that. Well, now that's a change order, you know, and the less of those you can have, the better you're going to be uh, down the road. So a lot of it's proper planning. Um, you know, get, we try to get involved or, or prefer to get involved early in the process so that we can help navigate the, the nuance of that part of it. Make sure that the bid is run properly. Make sure your contracts are written properly. Make sure you understand all the permits that are necessary and any potential pitfalls or stumbling blocks that could hit you along the way that could derail the timeline, you know, time is money. So, you know, with the expense, with the complexity, the primary objective is efficiency through the project. Efficiency is the one area where everybody wins. The contractor gets in and out quickly. They get, you know, onto the next project. The architect gets to do their part of it, the art part of it, and, and really create something special. The club gets a great finished product on time, on budget. Um, and at the same time, we try to buffer some of the politics and buffer some of the anxieties around things and try to help with communication and help with education and, and maybe take some of those bullets for the superintendent that they might be on an Island with otherwise. Yeah. Uh, let's just take a little break here. Our guest on the TurfNet renovation report is, uh, Josh Lewis, former superintendent, now consultant with Gratteville Hertz ring, um, management group. And I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Golf Preservations, uh, the Andersons, and Capillary Bunkers. From fairway and greens drainage to full-scale renovation work, Golf Preservations can handle your project with ease and give you the peace of mind of knowing the professionals are caring for your valuable golf course assets. Since 2005, Golf Preservations has meticulously installed over 500 miles of drainage pipe on more than 300 golf courses nationwide, always keeping disruption of play to a minimum. Visit golfpreservations.com or call 606-499-2732 to speak with us about your next drainage or renovation project. Introducing Genesis RX, a line of comprehensive fertility and soil amendment solutions specifically designed for airification, construction, renovation, sodding, sprigging, and seeding. These blends represent the most comprehensive fertilizers the Andersons have ever produced, offering single product solutions designed to simplify fertility and save time in application. To learn more, visit andersonsplantnutrient.com slash turf. The capillary bunker system 
keeps bunker moisture at optimal levels to eliminate washouts, soil contamination, plugged ball lies, and other bunker maintenance and playability problems. The patented capillary bunker system not only rapidly drains rain from storms, but also moves moisture back up to the bunker sand through capillary action as needed during drier weather. Capillary bunkers last longer, average a three-year payback, and provide better, more consistent player experiences, all with a 10-year performance guarantee. For more information, visit capillarybunkers.com. We are back with TurfNet uh, Renovation Report. Um, our guest is Josh Lewis, industry consultant, former superintendent, um, and he's a consultant with Gradiville Hertzing uh, Management Group. If I got that wrong, you'll correct me. Uh, you got it. I can't read my writing. so it's, uh, <laughs> And I always forget to be patient about that. But I want to thank our sponsors for making this conversation possible because they're involved in the construction business and they play a crucial role. Golf Preservations. Uh, the Andersons and capillary bunkers. Josh, we've been talking about the uh, growing demand on uh, infrastructure, uh, not just in California where there are water issues and uh, water treatment facilities that have to be installed, but also generally the scope of work and the uh, the sort of backlog that's developed uh, 25 years later now from the, uh, the golf boom of the 90s. And uh, do you guys get involved in the... Uh, politics in clubs of trying to convince and educate and uh, essentially get positive votes and um, by the membership, or is that something you sort of stay away from? Uh, we can, I mean, it really is case specific, you know, and if it depends on a lot of things, as you know, you know, club governance can dictate a lot of different things. So, you know, what that governance structure looks like a lot of times will um, determine our level of involvement on that end of it, but we're happy to sit down with whoever, you know, just our, our basis of things is we're not trying to sell anything. We're trying to smooth out the process, make things work, um, bring some practical experience to the table and, and try to calm some nerves. And so the reality of that is if we need to get in front, up in front of a membership group and, and, speak to some things that we've seen at other places and make some good comparisons and bring some good data. Um, that's what we'll do. And if we are asked to operate in the background and just make sure things are going smoothly and let other people take the lead, that's fine as well. So it just depends on what the club needs. And, you know, anytime there's a consultant brought in, some superintendents uh, jump at the choice uh, at the opportunity because it helps them get their work done and it's a learning experience. Others maybe get a little defensive and feel like they're being second guessed. So I guess that's part of the uh, the process uh, as well as negotiating some of the egos that are inevitably involved in the process. It must help having uh, gone through all the experience you have as a superintendent, though. Yeah, I think with all three of us being former superintendents, you know, we've been in that spot for a long time and we understand the emotions and the concerns potentially and things like that. But, you know, the other aspect of it is having been in that seat for a long time, you also start to ask yourself questions like, you know, the job of being a superintendent has changed a lot in the last 10 to 15 years. It's not what it was. It's not what it was when I got into business. You know, we're, we're executive managers now. We're asked to take on all aspects of a department. You know, the amount of time that's spent on non-turf related 
things is incredible. And so that's in itself more than a full-time requirement. Then we're going to ask that person to also take on, you know, the in-depth planning, development, execution, and management of a large-scale, you know, construction project where you're, you know, you are dealing with permitting, compliance, multiple contractors on site, all the politics, all the emotions. Most of these projects don't pass in a vote, especially if there's an assessment, by a big margin. So no matter what, you're going to have, you know, 25 to 35, 40% of your membership that didn't vote for this thing. And your job, you're just trying to get it done. You're just trying to do it as best as you can, but you end up inherently being the guy that kind of has your face on it a little bit. And that's not fair, but it is what it is. And so our goal and my goal, and I, I think most of the guys that I've talked to since jumping in on this thing really is to help the superintendent industry. We want to be that go-to group that, you know, Hey, I'm, I don't, I don't want my face on this thing. I want to make the calls. I want to have a lot of influence and impact, but I'd really like to have you guys help buffer this situation and, and help navigate it and take some of the personal stress and liability off of it. And, you know, and, and just the labor hours associated with it too. I mean, you're talking about another full-time job, you know, I'm, I'm already working 50, 60, 70 hours a week as a superintendent. I'm going to take on another 50 hours a week. There isn't enough time in the day to do both jobs to hundred percent. And so our goal is hopefully we can normalize this. Hopefully we can fill up what we see as a gap in the industry and really help, help superintendents. It's, it's the greatest group of people that I have ever had the privilege of knowing. And if we can do something good for the industry, um, that's fulfillment enough for me. Well, it's an interesting point because already, as you've alluded uh, to, the uh, superintendent's job has changed over the last 25, 30 years, essentially spending a lot less time um, with their hands in, in knee deep in the dirt, fixing things and mowing and, and more in terms of paperwork. And essentially, superintendents have become HR managers uh, and essentially filling out spreadsheets and answering calls and negotiating traffic and uh, obviously dealing with um, salespeople and um, management issues and budgets. So it's more of a, there's more of an office component to it. And now you're adding on to things like product or uh, uh, materials testing, yeah. ordering, uh, staging, traffic cop, plus the emotional, this is always, I think the hardest thing to for superintendents to deal with the emotional uh, turmoil of watching something you've lovingly tendered being shredded <laughs> by, by an army of bulldozers. Yeah. And then even when it's done, you got the hall roads to deal with. So, I mean, that's got to be just, it's like watching a family member go through a major surgery and yeah. you're, you're holding the scalpels and that's a lot to ask. So, and you've got 30% of your membership that didn't want it to happen too. And so you got them asking you questions every time they see you. Yeah, so, so it's they, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's yeah. an emotional, stressful, high anxiety, yet necessary thing in a lot of cases. And, and so it is, it's a, it's a lot to take on and, and granted, like we all love construction. We all love building things. We all love building, building golf. You know, that's, that's, it's a fun thing to do, but that's only about, you know, 10 or 15% of the task whenever you're undertaking something like this. The other 80% plus is 
not very fun and it's a lot of work and it's really tough to get, you know, one thing we've challenged, we've been challenged with recently for whatever reason, if it's just the point in history we are, but responsiveness, you know, especially when you're dealing with some of these government agencies where you're trying to get permitting, you're trying to get things approved on a timeline, they just don't call you back. And if you're not in their office every couple of days, you don't get what you need. In their office and in their face. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be present. And so that's just a huge time requirement, you know, anybody can do it, but it takes away from the rest of the job, you know? And so, like I said, our number one uh, ahead of everything else is to support superintendent industry. That's, that's where we want to be trusted in that, in that arena. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because what you're doing now is you're involving a team putting at every project you're putting together uh, while you're relying on government agencies to be responsive, (laughs) tough enough. Uh, And then there's, you have a civil engineer, you have a traffic engineer in terms of local permits, you have product testing, uh, you have supply chain issues. Um, and like you said, you have nervous members and you end up spending half your time just taking them out on tours to assure them of how things are going. So, yeah, the communication and education is key, you know, and that's another huge time requirement. Yeah. yeah. And I'm curious because you have direct experience with this. How have contractors uh, responded to this? Because, uh, you know, many of them are booked out way in advance. Uh, there's probably a shortage of qualified or high quality shapers involved as well. Uh <sighs> Just limitations on labor. We all know the immigration issues of uh, of getting uh, appropriate labor. Um, so how how do how how is that side handled the, the, the latest? I'll be honest. It, it's it has developed exactly the opposite of the way I thought it would. That was one area where I mean, and I've got a lot of friends in the golf contractor business, and yes. the amount of construction that I've done, you get to know a lot of people over the years. And so I was nervous about that response because, you know, effectively we are an owner's representative and we're there to work on the behalf. Our, our success is dictated by the club's success, right? So we represent the club and the superintendent and making sure things are going the right way. So effectively we're a layer of accountability for the team members, you know, on the and contractor being one, but the response has been really amazing because most of the groups we've talked to have been really excited about this because they also struggle with, um, in a lot of cases, getting their process, the process of golf course construction, communicated effectively to club members. It were almost like translators, hmm. you know, where we speak contractor and we speak boardroom, you know, so we can kind of help with that communication gap and get the membership educated on the construction process and what to expect. And we can put it in terms that they can understand. And it really helps when the contractor is not having to show up to a project where they want to get started on their scope, but at the same time, they're having to try to educate the membership group on, you know, no, we told you that we were going to have to bring that through the parking lot. Like, that's why we recommended that you seal coat the parking lot after the project's done or, you know, all these little nuanced things, right. That we, you know, because we speak both languages, we can, we can help facilitate a little bit, but the contractors have been really, really positively responsive to this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in a lot of cases have been pretty helpful in, in, you know, providing us avenues in to talk with certain people on certain things that are on the forefront. So 
Yeah, that's a side of the industry that's uh, largely unknown in part because even issues of infrastructure are largely unknown to average golfers. So um, I think in the past, you know, you never saw a reference to that part of it in in these uh, in writing or really much in public debate. Uh, and I, uh, it seems to me that um, anything that enables them to just get their job done without having to what, make excuses or explanations or um, um, that just uh, reduces the friction so that they can, yeah. because, you know, I, I think this is one of the really underappreciated. It is damn hard physically to rebuild the golf course. You watch out the labor involved in these crews and w- women are on the crews rolling those sod, ball, those 60, 70 pound bales of sod. Uh, it's very impressive to watch. Um, yeah. No, know. it's, I think the contractors generally, it goes back to the conversation about efficiency. And our goal is to bring efficiency in every aspect of, you know, whether it's communication, education, um, execution of the project, construction, planning, whatever, bring efficiency. Don't do unnecessary steps along the way. And from the contractor perspective, if the projects run really efficiently, they're going to get out of there. They're not going to have a bunch of extra work. The punch list isn't going to be super long. They're going to get out of there on time. They're going to get onto their next project, you know, and that all equates to margin, you know? And so I think that's where a lot of these guys are, are starting to realize that it makes a lot of sense and, and appreciate the times that they've had opportunity to work with good, good outside project managers. And then it just is a smooth process. Everybody's friends at the end of the thing. Right. That's another aspect of this is that I've had conversation around a lot of projects where there's even as much as litigation on the back end about different, you know, contract things that didn't get done or did get done not to standard or whatever. It's like if you can avoid all that, like you really should. It's it's not a fun process and nobody wants to go through it. So I think keeping everybody on the same page, keeping the ball moving, keeping the, the ship moving forward. You know, it's a train really. If one car stops, they all stop, you know? And so having efficiency, bringing efficiency, having a good plan, having a good communication strategy, good education strategy before the project starts, um, really just, it leads to, it leads to cost savings in the end, honestly, because time again is money. Well, not just time in terms of construction, but times in terms of disruption of the golf routine. Absolutely. Because, you know, I've seen this time and time again, particularly in the Northeast, where people think, well, we, you know, we, we, we don't want to get in the way of the golf calendar. We'll start September 15th. And then you point out, you know, if you start September 15th, you're not seeding, you're sodding. Now you've yep. just massively increased your cost. So, if you know, you could buy a lot of time. Just by starting August 1st, for example, the marginal disruption isn't that great, but the savings. So the uh, that's always been a big issue. And it may, maybe that's easier on the West Coast where you can do work um, you know, year round. But I, I assume even there you're driven by a seeding and sodding window in terms of. Daylight. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially with the I mean, there's we're facing like we've referenced, there's so many courses that are converting to warm season grass. We're facing I mean, we're facing sod shortages you know, the sod producers just can't keep up at times. So making sure that you have your contract grow in place, you know, and then understanding that, you know, Bermuda grass is ready to harvest in the summer. So if you're going to do a fairway regrassing, it's a summer, it's a summer establishment, you know? Um, 
or if you're going to seed bent grass, you know, in Southern California, you don't really want to seed bent grass in July and August when you have right. pythium and other things that could enter in, you know, so how do you handle that? Where does, where does seeding your greens fall into a project where you're also regressing your fairways? You know, how do you, how do you time that? How do you schedule that? How do you, you know, so there's a lot of little things like that. You know, the difference is in, you know, the ability to get grading permits in Northern California versus Southern California are, can be different from County to County. You know, mm-hmm. sure. they may have, you know, if it's, uh, in some East Bay counties, it's October to April. You can't get a grading permit. You can't open soil, you know, because of if the one year out of 10 that we actually get legitimate rain, it causes a problem, right? So there are just a lot of variables with um, with what goes on out here in particular, but but really can be tied back to specific issues around the country. You know, I've always said, Every superintendent has massive challenges. They're just different depending on where you grow grass. You know, I don't have to spray every four days out here. Um, you know, like you do in the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast transition zone, but I've got to figure out how to grow grass with, you know, eight inches of rain a year, right. you know, and then poor water quality and things like that. So right. it's the same thing with construction. It's the same thing with projects. Um, every region has its specific challenges and, and trying to navigate those is, is critical. Having an in-depth understanding of what you're going to be confronted with is important. Well, I appreciate your time. Our guest today has been uh, Josh Lewis, um, consultant with Gradoville Herzing Management, former superintendent, and now uh, hands full with uh, major renovation projects in the, uh, in California and the West and uh, very instructive. It's um it's a fascinating time for the industry because while everyone's benefited in effect from COVID unanticipated, uh, they're also, and, and so that now there's some capital built up, uh, a lot of projects in the pipeline and a lot of uh, careful thinking at clubs. And uh, I want to thank our sponsors for facilitating this uh, conversation, Golf Preservations, the Andersons and Capillary Bunkers for TurfNet Renovation Report. This is Brad Klein. 